So good in Erev Shabbos to everybody, and uh, we have a special opportunity this evening um, to go ahead and to uh, hear from somebody that is uh, quite near and dear to me. Um, it's, really, uh, it's really an honor to have, um, to have my brother in for Shabbos. Uh, we don't always get to uh, do that so often, um, and I'll explain why in a second. But uh, my brother, um, number two in, uh, of four, uh, is uh, Joey Rosenfeld, Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld. And uh, Joey is uh, an addiction therapist uh, by profession, but a, uh, I guess a Kabbalist by vocation. And he, uh, he lives in St. Louis, St. Louis. Louis, Missouri, uh, in University City with his family and his three beautiful kids, my uh, nieces and nephews. And um, Joey has uh, managed to make quite a name for himself. I'm only going to say Mixas Shvacha Lefanov, only half of uh, his praise. There's a lot of praise. Um, I'm really lucky to have uh, a brother that I could look, a younger brother that I could look up to. Uh, Joey's managed to uh, create and carve out a real special place for himself um, by going ahead and uh, connecting his profession and uh, his learning um, and uh, to be able to bridge those gaps, diving deep into areas of human nature, despair, darkness, doubt, uh, but also redeeming that and, um, and finding the light within that and using that to, uh, to help people. And uh, people are helped, um, whether they're suffering from addiction, whether they're suffering from a spiritual, uh, a spiritual dryness. So Joey's Torah is one that is, um, is quite beautiful and comes from deep, um, profound learning and understanding. Uh, I'll just say, the last thing I'll say is that uh, this all started, my parents will say, Joey's the only person that manages to make it through like difficult, abstruse svarim while lying completely prone on a couch. Um, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty much like all you need to know about where this comes from. And his shiurim are all uh, able to be found online. Uh, people can reach out through the shul. I can give you links to uh, just finished entire series on uh, one of the most difficult books of Cook on Reish Milin and is uh, deep into another series on his, uh, on, I guess, his primary love, which is the lesson Shabova Achlama of Solomon al Yashiv. Uh, who is uh, one of the greatest expositors of Lithuanian Kabbalah, and uh, really thanks is, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to do this, but thanks is due to Josh Dansger for making this happen. Um, so Josh, really appreciate uh, your partnership in this. So uh, without further ado, uh, the first of many speaking opportunities, the Shabbos, we'll have a few more. We have a Tish Friday night. We have, uh, Joey's going to be speaking at, um, Joey's going to be speaking at Primincha, so he's going to be covering that, which is great. Um, and uh, Joey will also be speaking at Shalash Shodas in Lincoln Square Synagogue. So I think the format of this evening is that uh, we'll have about uh, 40 to 45 minutes of Torah from Joe, and then maybe we'll, uh, we'll see if there's a Ratzon, if there's a will, uh, we'll do about uh, 15, uh, 15, 20 minutes, if you're up to it, mm-hmm. of uh, questions, which could be free questions afterwards, uh, really, uh, whatever your heart desires. So uh, take it away, Joe. And L'chaim. L'chaim. Okay. Bereshus, my brother, the rabbi. Josh, thank you for bringing me in. My good friend Nathaniel. Um, and everybody here, thank you so much for coming out tonight. Um, I don't know about you guys, but 8.30 is already a time where I'm typically in pajamas for the night. Um, but I'm really excited. I'm really excited to be able to speak with you guys a couple of times over Shabbos. Tonight, what I wanted to speak about is really a meditation of sorts, which is based on a lot of Makoros, based on a lot of different various sources, which I'm not necessarily going to be quoting. Nothing that I say is original, um, especially when it comes to 
the inner realms of Torah or Panimius Hanefesh or the interiority of the soul, meaning what the Torah and what the later generations of thinkers have allowed us to understand in terms of a healthy psychological spiritual life. This is all rooted in, in books and holy books and thinkers, but for the sake of coherence and brevity, I'm probably not going to be quoting everybody, but if there's a source that you're interested in, I'm more than happy to share it with you. Thursday night has already colloquially become part of Shabbos. Anybody who spent a year or two in Israel knows that Thursday night is a time of Mishmar, where a person is up and awake already. Mishmaros Halayla, the guarding of the night, is a concept already that the Gemara discusses in Maseches Brachos, that the night is a time of guarding. There's a number of psukim which associate nighttime with guarding, because nighttime is when a person's defenses are down, when a person is more tired after a long, heavy day of toil and working for your bread. But you come home at night and it's a time where you allow yourself to settle down, let your defenses go down a little bit. And when we let our defenses go down, the Torah teaches us generally that that's a time that we need to set up our guards. We have to have shomrim, we have to have a shmirah that blocks us from any spiritual lowliness or darkness of spirit that might assault us in the nighttime hours, when things go bump in the night, when things are dark. It's not so true anymore with obviously electricity in the night, especially in a city like this, is very bright. But when Chazal were speaking, nighttime was really a time where activity stopped, and it was a time where there were certain fears, and the fears that come out at night. There's a very powerful story from one of my favorite tzaddikim. His name is Rav Yaakov, Rav Yaakov Liner of Ishbitz and Radzin. He was the son of the Meshiloach, the son of Rav, Rav Mordechai Yosef Liner. So this is the Beis Yaakov, and the Beis Yaakov's grandson writes in his commentary, um, in his kind of biographical or autobiographical writings about his family, in the Sefer called Dor Yesharim. So he writes that as a young child, this is the grandson of the Beis Yaakov, as a young child he used to be afraid. He used to hear creaks at night, he used to not be able to sleep. And what he would do when he wasn't able to sleep is he would go down to the learning room, to the cheder of his grandfather, the Beis Yaakov. And he writes at the end of his introduction a very poignant story which says that one night his grandfather got up from his learning, and if you know about the Beis Yaakov, that was not a common thing for him to do. This was a person who was learning all day and all night, quite literally. And he said he put on his coat, he took his walking stick off of the wall, and he, the grandson writes that he held my hand and we walked into the dark, and he taught me how a Jew should not be afraid of anything. Now, that's the Shmirah that we put up at night, where we gird ourselves and where we deepen our faith in ourselves and in the world and in God, so as not to be afraid. But Thursday night, this Shmirah, this Mishmar, this being awake, is already in anticipation of Shabbos coming. There's an awakeness, there's a movement within ourselves, within the world, where the world is more awake on Thursday night. Shabbos food is cooking, people are already looking forward to the week's end, so there's already a taste of Shabbos on Thursday night. What we're going to be speaking about is really a triadic, a three-part breakup of what Shabbos can be for a person. Now, I'm going to be discussing three separate points in time, a three-tiered temporal breakup of Shabbos, in terms of Friday as Erev Shabbos, Shabbos itself, and Motzei Shabbos as Saturday night. But it's important to understand that these three parts of Shabbos are not simply three separate aspects, but they're three parts of a whole. That in our svarim and in our thinkers, everything can be broken up into three parts, a beginning, a middle, and an end. There's a beginning which is separate from the end, and only through the middle, which has the ability to connect to the two poles, do we have a unit, 
So there's three parts of Shabbos. We see this with Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. We see it with Shacharis, Minchen, Mariv. We see it with the Shalosh, Regalim. That there's always going to be a three-part way to break things up, in spite of the fact that, in truth, they remain singular in their whole. So we're looking at a singular aspect of Shabbos, but three different parts of it. First, I want to look at the concept of Erev Shabbos and what that means, both spiritually and psychologically. Then I want to speak about Shabbos itself. And obviously, when speaking about Shabbos, there's no way to even begin to grasp the entirety of the sugya of Shabbos, of the, the concept and the idea of Shabbos, which is quite literally the crowning jewel of our religion. It's the Beit Skinzo, it's the concealed treasure that God has given, so to speak, from his treasure trove a gift from the next world which gives us the ability to taste or to glimpse something that this world can't offer. And then we're also going to speak about what happens to me if my favorite time, my favorite yantif, which is Motzei Shabbos, which is the end of Shabbos. Now, this three-part breakup of past, present, and future of Erev Shabbos, Shabbos, and Motzei Shabbos is not simply an idea amongst ideas. But we see very often in the names of our authorities, whether it's a halachic authority or whether it's a philosophical authority, that when attempting to understand Hashem, when attempting to grasp this concept of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, of the four-letter name of Hashem, the Yud Kei Vav Kei, the way our achronim, the way our rabbinic commentators express it to us, and this is in halachic writings, is that that name is representative of the triparate breakup of temporality, of past, present, and future. So that past, present, and future, or our experience with time, is not simply a mushal or a metaphor to trying to understand Hashem, but it's actually a real way that we can have access to divinity. That the realm of time, the concept of time, the experience of time, the anxiety that time gives birth to, the rageness of time that continues and flows and makes everything feel ephemeral and transient, those are real experiences that we have and access points that we have to divinity itself. So when we talk about the breakup of past, present, and future, we're not only talking about a human construct of temporality, but what we're speaking about is a way that Hashem, so to speak, has chosen to reveal Himself to us. So when we talk about Shabbos in this three-part breakup, we're also touching upon a more fundamental aspect of Judaism's relationship to time, which is that in the breakup of time and in the different modes of being that we're forced to engage with, we have access to Hashem as well. Now, Erev Shabbos, the eve of Shabbos, waiting for Shabbos, that's a time where a person finally is capable of bringing the, the burdensome, tired shoulders of our week into a place of rest. Erev Shabbos is the end of the week. The week according to Chazal, the week according to our rabbis, is synonymous with gullus, with exile, with fallenness, with brokenness, with toil, with lamed tes malachos. The fact that Shabbos we're not allowed to engage in Lamed Tes Malachos, according to a number of thinkers, means that the determining and constitutive factor of what makes the week a week is that we engage in Lamed Tes Malachos. So that the week is not simply separate from Shabbos, it's the polar opposite of Shabbos in the sense that Shabbos is the absence of Malacha, 
And Erev Shabbos and the entirety of the week is malacha itself. It's amelus, it's toiling, it's engaging in the nitty-gritty of life, no matter what our station in life is, whether we're working with numbers, whether we're working with people, whether we're working with actual material, the engagement, whether mental or physical, forces us to utilize all of our strength to the point of exhaustion. So that as Jewish people who live in America, the one thing that we all know about Erev Shabbos is the chaos of Erev Shabbos and the exhaustion of Erev Shabbos. And Erev Shabbos is this time where a Jew is capable of drawing the light of Shabbos, drawing that light that's about to come, that's at the precipice, and saying that even though it's not here yet, I'm going to make it here. I can't wait anymore for Shabbos. On Erev Shabbos, there's a sense that I can no longer deal with Chol. I can no longer deal with the mundanity of the week. I need to bring the light of Shabbos into the fallenness of the week itself. So there are halachos that dictate this, that there is something called Tosefa Shabbos. There's the additional time that a person gives themselves for Shabbos, where we bring in Shabbos even a few minutes earlier than the actual Lich benching time in order to spiritually show that the attitude of Erev Shabbos is one of forcing Shabbos to draw itself into the weekday itself. Now, psychologically speaking, the attitude that a person has on Erev Shabbos is one of waiting and anticipation. We're excited. Chazal tell us that Shabbos is not simply one day of the week, but it's something that constitutes and animates all other days of the week. When we say Shir Shel Yom at the end of davening, we say Hayom Yom Rishon B'Shabbos. Today is the first day of Shabbos. Today is the second day of Shabbos. Today is the third day of Shabbos, and so on and so forth. To the point that Shabbos becomes the heuristic device that allows us to identify all other time periods during the week. So that Sunday is just the first day of the next Shabbos. Monday is the second day. So every day becomes Shabbos. In the sense that the Torah is asking us to wait and anticipate Shabbos with an enthusiasm that basically says, I cannot wait anymore. When a person is excited about something, when a person is yearning towards something, the attitude is one of intensity, of excitement. Whether as a child you're looking forward to something that's happening the next day, or whether you're excited for a birthday or some life event, that energy, that potency within the self that just wants to burst forth beyond the confines of time is what we experience on Erev Shabbos on a small level. Now there are even mitzvos and halachos that force us to experience this. That there's an actual mitzvah, and this is sometimes hard, at least this was very difficult for my mother and my wife now as well, but you're supposed to taste the food of Shabbos on Erev Shabbos. You're supposed to actually engage in the materiality of Shabbos and draw it into the mundanity of the week to show that by waiting and anticipating and desiring Shabbos and pining after Shabbos, we can transform the mundanity and the fallenness of the lamentas malachos and the klala of working and toiling. We can take the light of Shabbos and force it to penetrate into the realm of the opposite of Shabbos. Erev Shabbos, we're told, halachically speaking, that if you damage something, if you're running around like a crazy person on Erev Shabbos and you cause damages, that on a certain level and in certain situations, a person is patur. A person is no longer liable to pay the damages because there's a certain attitude that reigns in the air, basically, on Erev Shabbos of chaos, of everybody running. Everything is happening faster because there's an excitement. There's an excitement of taking the week, taking the fallenness of the week, and somehow, some way, making it through that mincha and that Kabbalah Shabbos without falling asleep. 
and being able to take a deep breath and say, I've made it. I have made it into this safe space. I have survived that week. The Hasidim, the students of the Baal Shem Tov, have an important minhag where they say kapitel, I believe it's kuf chaf zayin, 127, I could be wrong on that number though, where they say hodu la Hashem before Kabbalah Shabbos. Hodu la Hashem, as the Baal Shem Tov tells us, is basically the confessions of the soul describing this harrowing experience that it has just, just slightly escaped from. It's where we learn out the halachos of birchas hagomel, of the brachos that you make after escaping a dangerous situation, because the life of the mundane week and the fallenness of the week and the overexposure that we have to everything without limit and without stoppage is an assault on the soul. It's quite literally an assault on the soul, and it's a battle to fight over the body and to try and wrestle some sense of menucha sanefesh, some sense of calmness of spirit and serenity, if you will, from the anxiety that abides in the sixth day of the week. So on Erev Shabbos, we get to taste and we finally get to see this meeting point, this place where Chol and Shabbos kiss, which even though Erev Shabbos is overwhelming and it's intense, because that transition point, because that liminal space where Chol melts into Shabbos and Shabbos melts into Chol, that impossible place where beyond time and the next world and this time and this world meet, there's one of excitement, anticipation, and waiting. So the attitude that a person can try and cultivate on Erev Shabbos is one of excitement and trying to take on certain small moments where a person just gets excited for Shabbos. I, w- I merited to grow up in a house where without Shabbos, my, my father has said over and over, he wouldn't survive. So, so quite literally, I grew up with that sense. But as an adult now, I also feel that, that if it were not for Shabbos, if there were not something to look forward to from the beginning of Sunday and onwards, the week would be nearly impossible to handle. There's a mitzvah that many of us engage in on Erev Shabbos that we're not aware of, and Kabbalistically speaking, this became one of the most important activities, one of the most important actions that a person does in preparation of Shabbos, and that's cleaning ourselves for Shabbos, taking a shower, taking a bath, whatever a person does. For some men, there's the minhag also to go to a mikvah, that a person goes to a ritual bath to cleanse themselves ritually. Now, it's important to understand that mikvah, if you try and understand the etymological root of mikvah, it's kivoy, it's kav, it means hoping that going to the mikvah on Arab Shabbos is the full expression of this attitude of hoping toward Shabbos, of taking your broken body, which is covered in the soot and the mud of the week, and entering into this mikvah, which beyond the ritual purity that it imparts on a person, is also a deep expression of the soul that even though this week may have had hopeless moments in it, even though there were moments of yayush, of losing hope in myself and the world and other people, when a person enters into that proverbial mikvah, and the mikvah doesn't have to be a mikvah, obviously. The mikvah is a concept. There were a number of tzaddikim when they realized that it was too close to Shabbos and they didn't have a mikvah, they would call ten Jews around themselves and they would dunk within them, fully dressed, and they would say, mikvah Yisrael Hashem, that the mikvah of God is the Jewish people. So the purity of a mikvah is not so much a ritual act as much as a mindset as well. That on Shabbos we purify ourselves with the hope that things can change and be better when Shabbos comes. So the attitude of Arab Shabbos is one of waiting, is one of anticipation, and temporally speaking it's about the past. It's about looking at the past, looking at the week that has just passed by, and taking an accounting of ourselves. 
according to Chazal, Erev Shabbos was always a time of tshuva. Shabbos, the tzaddikim point out, is the same letters um, of teshev, meaning return. That prior to the incoming Shabbos, a person is meant to contemplate their deeds, take an accounting of their behaviors, make a moral inventory, as they say. And when a person is able to do that, they begin to be capable of hoping for something better. Then comes Shabbos. Now, Shabbos itself is certainly the type of idea that you can speak about, but it's very difficult to pinpoint exactly what it is you're trying to say. Because Shabbos is something that on a certain level evades definition, and at the moment that you're capable of defining it, it's a clear sign that you don't have it anymore. That when you can define the thing that you're talking about, you lose hold of it on a certain level. So sometimes with Shabbos, the closest thing that we can do to coming to describe it is going to sleep. Inactivity is sometimes the only clea, the only vessel that we have to capture the light of Shabbos. Because in our active minds and our thinking, Shabbos is something that transcends our capacity to really experience. And so what Chazal have told us and what our tzaddikim have told us is that you go to sleep and you get to experience Shabbos. There's legends about the Vilna Gon and about the Arizal, that what the Arizal was capable of discerning in his sleep on Shabbos would take an individual 80 years to understand. Now, other than the legend and the apocryphal nature of such a tale, the Balhatanya and the Tzadikim of Chabad see this as a really important distinction about what thinking means. That a person can spend 80 years trying to describe the indescribable. A person can spend all the language in the world, all the words that there are, to pinpoint what it is they're trying to describe and they will come up empty. As many of us know, that language at the end of the day is a, is a handmaiden to true experience. And the more we try and speak about experience, the further and further experience moves away from us. So what the Hasidim and the Tzadikim of Chabad tell us is that what the Ariza was saying is that sometimes it's going to sleep and unconsciousness, which is the only way that you're capable of holding that point of Shabbos, of touching it. And yes, you can't explain it. They weren't saying that the Arizal understood 80 years worth of knowledge that he could then write down on a paper. The Arizal experienced in that moment of sleep, in the intense potency of the point itself, which is indivisible, he, can, he experienced everything in that point. And on a certain level, that's what we get on Shabbos. Shabbos, if Erev Shabbos is the attitude of waiting and anticipating for that thing, and all of us have our different thing, right? Hashem for each and every person, aside from the theological tenets that that concept forces us to assume. Each person is looking for their own metziah. Each person has lost something irredeemable that they're trying to figure out how to retain. Mishle says, Lev yodea maras nafsho. Each heart understands the maras is not suffering, God forbid. Marirus is more the bitterness of the soul. And that's an attitude that Jews throughout history have either been forced to assume as a spiritually fecund attitude or we've chosen to do it on our own. But that bitterness of spirit, which is rooted in the distance, which is rooted in our inability to define what we're missing, each person has an answer in their own heart as to what that is. But on Shabbos, if on Erev Shabbos we're waiting for that, on Shabbos we get it. On Shabbos we get to taste it. To'ameha chayim zachu that there is a taste, an impossible taste of tasting things as they are supposed to be on Shabbos, of entering into a space where you have what you're looking for, which according to the dimensions of this world is really not something that's possible. 
Hashem never promises to anybody that, to anybody that they get what they're looking for. In fact, everything seems to speak to the opposite. That Judaism at its core is a religion of desire, yearning, wanting, kisufin, longing. It's not necessarily a religion of having or assuming or beholding. Those are very important distinctions to be made from some of our cousin religions. We don't believe that redemption has come already. We don't believe that the thing is here. We believe that we're still waiting for it. But on Shabbos, impossibly speaking, there is a taste. There is a moment on Shabbos where a person can sit and they can say, like Chazal tell us, that a person on Shabbos needs to operate ke'ilu kol asuya, that you need to assume the intentional posture that all of your work is done. Even if all of your work is not done. The Torah is aware that our work is never done, but it forces us and it says that on Shabbos you can assume and act as if your work is done. It doesn't say It doesn't say all your work is done. It says It says as if your work is done. And that rabbinic as if that allows us to see the metaphorical and assume it's literal, that allows us to act as if and really feel that it's true, that's what we experience on Shabbos. Everything is done. You don't have to rush. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be anxious about what's coming or be depressed about what's gone. You don't have to be worried about the future or the past. You can sit comfortably in your own skin without leaving your space. There are halachos that dictate that on Shabbos a person is not supposed to travel far. Traveling and moving always implies an attempt to seize something, to gain more, to find more, to acquire more to crave more. On Shabbos there are halachos that dictate that a person is meant to sit in their own private space, that you're not meant to go outside. You're meant to stay within your Dalet Amos, within your Rishus Hayachid, your domain of unity, internalized. Shabbos, the Arizal tells us, is an incredible idea. He says that there is a halacha that when you hire somebody to work, there's a halacha that you must pay them that day. You have to pay a person, you can't make them wait. In that day, you should give them their reward. Now, let's put that, let's bracket that for a moment. And another statement from Chazal tells us that when we think about mitzvos and when we think about our work for God or our work in this world and the rewards that we might get, we're told that schar mitzvah Baha'i al-Maleka, that there is no schar, there is no reward for our work in this world. And there are various reasons for that. But we see a discrepancy. On the one hand, there is a halacha, and Chazal have an idea, and the later rabbis have an idea that, sort of speak, kavyachal, if it's written in the Torah, then we can assume that whatever level we assume that God engages in such spiritual activities, that God fulfills these mitzvahs as well. So God is not fulfilling this mitzvah of biyumo titen scharo, that on your day you should repay them. Because here we are engaging in spirituality, engaging in faith and bitachon, and we're not being rewarded. But on Shabbos, like the Arizal tells us, Shabbos is the Roshe Tevos, it's the acronym of Biyumo Titen Scharo, that in your day you shall receive your reward. That Shabbos is a taste of being rewarded in the moment itself, of having the promises that remain so distant during the week. On Shabbos we actually get to taste those things. We get to, and what that means psychologically, at least for me, and all I could speak about is what it means for me, is that a person can sit and you don't have to worry. You have permission to be at peace. 
you have permission to sit idly by and not worry about everything on the outside. We're not pretending that the outside is not around anymore. We're not numbing ourselves and pretending that nothing is bothering us anymore, but we are actively creating a barrier in our mind that says, ad kan tavo, you can only come up to here. We say to our anxieties that you don't have access to my kodesh akadashim. You have access to my heichal, right? We just spoke about Hanukkah, right? Where the prutzim, all of this negative energy and impurity forces its way into our sanctuary. But there's always that inner space, that kodesh akadashim, that pach shemen, that's, that's unsullied where anxiety is not allowed where we can say to our minds, where we can say to all of our philosophical ruminations, psychological ruminations, and the deep, phenomenal awareness that what we want is missing to a certain extent, we can say, you don't get to come into this room on Shabbos. You don't get to access this space. This is my space where I am living as if it is the next world already, where I am living as if redemption has already come, where I have a taste of redemption in this world, which is a miraculous concept because until redemption comes, redemption hasn't come. But on Shabbos, what we're saying is that in spite of the fact that redemption hasn't come yet, we can taste redemption. We can live in a space where it's as if everything is accomplished. Now, the Pri Haaretz, Rav Menachem Mendel Vatepsker, the Maor Enayim, the Chernobyl, Rav Nachem of Chernobyl, the Or HaChayim HaKadosh, Rav Chaim Ben Atar, whose ideas on Shabbos are sometimes deeper than anybody else's, they all say that this concept of asuya, that all of your work is done, doesn't only apply to the materiality of our lives. It applies to the spiritual realm as well. That on Shabbos there is a concept that a person no longer needs to toil physically or spiritually. Where a person needs to inoculate themselves away from the jealousy and the desire for honor and the temptation for more that pervades and animates the weekdays. That on Shabbos we're satisfied. On Shabbos there's a concept of sevia, of being satisfied, of yismach Moshe b'masnas chelko, of being joyous on the peace that we get. Right? We say this by Shmona Esrei on Shacharis on Shabbos. Yismach Moshe b'masnas chelko, that Moshe was joyous based on the peace, on the chelek that he received. Now, Rav Kook, has an incredible idea. And this is in his commentary on the Agadatas of Mesecha Shabbos, on the Gemara Shabbos. And he says that, based on the statement in the Gemara and Chazal and in Mesecha Savos, Ezehu Ashir, who is a truly rich person, Hasameach Bechelko, right? He, who, he or she who is happy with their lot. And Rav Kook has an incredible diuk. He says, what does Chelko mean? What does their part mean? And he says a chilek means that it's a particular. If it's a particular, it's not the whole. It's a part. Each and every person gets a part. They get a piece. What we can hope for in this world is a piece, is a taste of it, is touching even the slightest corner of unity. And in spite of the fact that we don't have the all and that we don't have access to the all, what we can do is be joyous with the fact that we have a little bit where a person can live their lives and realize that yes, I'm missing things in my life. Yes, there are things that are stressing me out in my life. Yes, there are things that are causing me pain and suffering in my life. But in spite all of that, I can be joyous and satisfied with my lot, with the chilek that I have, with the small part that I have. That's the attitude of Shabbos. Shabbos is one of abiding. It's being present in the self. It's not rushing to 
accumulate or accomplish more. It's not judging ourselves based on what we haven't done, but it's a moment in our lives where we can say, kol asuya, that I am okay. And there are rega'im, there are moments of this. It's not an attitude that a person can live their life with, because on a certain level, the world doesn't offer such a feeling. In recovery, they very often say that a person's goal in recovery from any addiction is living life on life's terms. Now, there's something phenomenal about that because in the early formation of Alcoholics Anonymous, which was the mid-30s of middle America, there was no shortage of snakes oil salesmen. Bill W., Bill Wilson, the founding father of Alcoholics Anonymous, could have very easily have sold this program as promising redemption, as promising salvation, as promising being saved, but he didn't. All he said was a very anticlimactic promise, which is if you work these 12 steps of changing your life, you get to live life on life's terms. You get to be present to life. The good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful. On a certain level, Lahavdil, that's what Shabbos is. Shabbos is not saying that everything on the outside is perfect, because it's not. Shabbos is not saying that everything is fixed, because it's not. Shabbos is not saying that I have no pain, because we don't. Shabbos is realizing that in spite all of that, I can still find that space within myself that's pure, good, and able to relax. So on Erev Shabbos, we have this attitude of waiting, of anticipating that which we don't have. On Shabbos, we have a momentary taste. And the thing about momentary tastes is that they're always ephemeral and transient. That on a certain level, we're our own worst enemies. That until we get what we want, we're in need and we're craving. When we get what we want, we're afraid that we're going to lose it. And there's nowhere clearer when it comes to Shabbos. Chazal have an amazing diuk. And I couldn't find the Makor in Rabbi Nachman, but Rabbi Nachman has an incredible treatment of this concept in numerous places, that when Chazal wanted to understand where do we get this concept from that comes Shabbos, that the individual is endowed with an extra level of their soul, whether that means a further expression of the soul that they already have, a deepening of the personality, or whether it means it's something wholly other that we haven't had access to, that's an argument amongst our sages. But either way, we have this idea that on Shabbos, everybody is endowed with an extra part of their soul. And Rashi, actually on the Gemara in Beitza, which says that, has a very literal interpretation. He says, what does this mean? It means we can sleep more, we can eat more. So there's, there's a makor for what we do on Shabbos. But when Chazal asked themselves, where do we learn this from? Where do we get this idea of an extra soul from? They have a very counterintuitive drasha. That they say that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu came and created the world, the Pasuk says, Shabbos Vayinafash. That there was Shabbos and he rested. Vayinafash. There was rest. His work was over. Chazal say in a, in a seemingly strange misreading, they say, how can you read the word Vayinafash and he rested? You can also break it up and it says Vayinafash. Woe to my soul. A mournful sense of, of a shry, of a krechs, of a sigh that says there's something painful here. And Chazal say that, how do we know that we get an extra soul? Because we say, vai nefesh, woe to our soul. Because at the outset of Shabbos, when Shabbos arrives, we're already anticipating the departure of the additional soul, and we say, vai, we say, woe to us that we're eventually going to lose this. Can you think of anything more Jewish that, that when we have, what, at the moment of getting what we want, how do we know we get what we want? Because we're already mourning the fact that we're not going to have it anymore. 
Rabbi Nachman points this out in the Zohar as well, that something phenomenal takes place in the Zohar, that whenever Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai got ready to reveal a secret, whenever he got ready to talk and say something, that his students would say, woe to us, for we are in a generation that doesn't have Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Woe to us, for we are the generation that has lost Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Rabbi Nachman says, what are you doing? He's right there. And he says that it's the chuka, it's the desire and the yearning and the anticipatory fear of losing the thing that you want so badly that on a certain level gives you that thing. That sometimes the closest we can come to having what we want in our lives is the realization of how deeply afraid we are of losing it. This becomes very clear when a person reads properly where the wild things are. Okay? where please don't go, please don't go, I'll eat you up, I love you so, where there's a love as strong as death, where there's an ava aza kamaves, like Shir Hashirim tells us, that there's a desire for unity so deep that it can only be expressed in its opposite because we realize we can't have what we want. And sometimes in that moment of fear, in that moment of realizing that I can't live without this, that's sometimes the deepest expression that we have of holding it. This is very clear when you're a parent and you're a young parent, or not a young parent, any parent, I'm just a young parent. But when you say Shema with your children, and at the core of it is the vulnerability of realizing that there's a limitation to what you can do for your child. There's a limitation of what you can do in this world to protect the people that you love. And in that moment of vulnerability, when you want to run away from it, when you want to say, I can't handle this, and you stay there and you say Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, that God is one, the world is one, and things are good in spite of our lack of control, sometimes that's the deepest connection that we have. Sometimes that the deepest expression of unity is at that moment of realizing how, how vulnerable it is, how, how thin it is. So, Chazal tell us that how do you know we get an extra shul on Shabbos? How do you know we get to taste this revelatory taste of the present moment? Because we're going to lose it. And that's okay because we get another shot next Shabbos also. And that's how we come to Motzei Shabbos. If Arab Shabbos is waiting and anticipating having that thing that we don't have, Shabbos is a taste of having that thing. Motzei Shabbos is the redemptive mournful sense of having had something and having lost it. But there is a unique way of Jewish loss. And the unique secret about Jewish loss and Amvot Se Shabbos is that yes, we have lost Shabbos, but we've come out different. Yes, we have lost the full expression of Shabbos, but Shabbos has imprinted itself on us. There's a klal, there's a general universal law that is clear from earlier sources, but the Arizal really made it clearest. And he said, when there is an expression of holiness, whether psychological, temporal, mathematical, any concept of expression, when it removes itself, and it nearly always does, it leaves an imprint. That's a chok. That's a chok velo ya'avor. That is a law that, that is inscribed within all mechanisms and forms that spirituality reveals itself in. That which is present, when it leaves, it leaves a trace. It leaves a roshem. It leaves an irreducible remainder that in spite of all the scrubbing and the nastiness that follows, it doesn't undo it. It doesn't go away. So on Motzei Shabbos when we sit and we say Havdalah and we recognize this sharp distinction between the world of Shabbos and the world of Chol, Rav Tzadok HaKohen Meleblin, a, a brilliant, brilliant doesn't cover it, one of the most important 
rabbinic figures that we have had, at least in terms of Hasidus, Machshava, Kabbalah, Rav Tzadik HaKohen Melablin would always give a drasha after Havdalah. And they're printed in his commentary on the Chumash, Pri Tzadik, and they're always incredible. Because he's saying the same thing. Basically that the transition from Shabbos to Motzei Shabbos is like a transition from being at the ephemeral heights of transcendence and being thrown in a traumatic way into the pits of despair. Me'igrarama, from a lofty palace, from a lofty space, Labira Amikta, to a deep, abysmal hole. But therein lies the hope of Shabbos. Therein lies the hope of Motzei Shabbos because when we are confronted with that descent away from holiness, where the bings and the, and the sounds of Twitter and Facebook and the news and politics and the ragingness of the world start assaulting us once again, there is a moment where we realize that I still have Shabbos with me. I still have a taste of having tasted something that's real. I tasted Shabbos and therefore I know that I can access it again. I know that I am able to re-enter into that palace of time. That on Motzei Shabbos it's a time of mournful yearning, but not one that is despairing or depressive, but it's a mourning over the fact that I tasted it and I want it again. I need more of that. It's not the sense of despair that says I can never have it again. It's the sense of I want it more. And the only thing that we can do based on that feeling is start again the next day and say, Hayom Yom Rishon B'Shabbos. Today is the first day of Shabbos. Today Shabbos starts to happen again. This is what our, our, our teachers, the Mishnah Brewer brings us down. This is not an esoteric doctrine. There's a concept that within the soul there's something irreducible. Within the Jewish spirit, within humanity, there's something irreducible. There's something that can never be pushed away, never undone in spite of all of our efforts. There's, there's a light that allows things to reanimate themselves because it is an infinitesimal point that contains the infinite within it. It is an irreducible, indivisible point that contains everything in it. And Chazal have told us, mysteriously or not, that there is also a requisite place in the body that represents this concept. It's called the luz, the luz bone, which is according to some interesting thinkers, the, the interface between the, the spine and the brain, the cerebral spinal column, or what some people would like to claim is the, is the, um, is the third eye or the pineal, the pineal gland. Okay, if anyone's interested, sure. If anyone's interested, there's an interesting book on that also. But the Luz bone, this, this bone is said to be irreducible. That even when death reigns supreme, there is a piece of life that remains pulsating in its essence to the point that unfortunately in our history this has, this has had halachic ramifications. There were difficult questions of what do you do with the ashes of Jewish people? Do you bury them? And the answer has been yes because we believe very deeply that there's still a bone. There's still a bone according to some Rishonim. We don't see it. It's infinitesimal but there's something to bury. There's something irreducible even after death has done its way with us. And that's what we experience on Motzei Shabbos. We're told, the Mishnah Burr brings us down, that the fourth meal, the meal of David Malka Mashicha, of David Melch Yisrael Chai Vekayim, King David who has taught us more than anyone else that in spite of death there's still life. That even when you're dead you're alive. That even when death reigns supreme, when things fall dark and when things fall apart, that the center can hold. And that there is something irreducible that remains present. David HaMelech, in his meal in Malava Malka, the, the Chafetz Chaim, tells us something incredible. He says that how does the Luzbon get, get its strength? It gets its strength from Malava Malka. 
It gets its strength from the hismodidus of facing and confronting the feeling of Motzei Shabbos, this future-oriented, anticipatory hope that we can taste Shabbos again. So we have this triadic breakup of our emotional states, and they make up our entire week. There's the Erev Shabbos, there's the waiting for what we don't have, the anticipation, the excitement, the desire for something and its freshness. There's having the thing which very often remains transient to our grasp. We can touch it, but we can't describe what it is to the extent that every person experiences Shabbos in their own way. And then on Motzei Shabbos, we have this mournful hope that Shabbos will return. Chazal tell us, and with this we're going to end, that Motzei Shabbos, aside from being David HaMelech's time, it's also Elio Anavi's time. Now, there's a minhag to learn Tana Debe Eliyahu on Motzei Shabbos, because if it's Eliyahu's time, like we know from the Zmiros that we sing, then we should engage in the Torah of Eliyahu. And there is an incredible teaching at the introduction to Tana Debe Eliyahu, which basically states that what happened at the outset of creation was that Adam Arishon was in Gan Eden. He was experiencing Shabbos. And then he gets kicked out. He's pushed away. And there's no greater description of our own internal experiences throughout history of having tasted something that we can't quite describe. But it's always afterwards. It's always achar hadvarim ha'ela. We always look back and say, there was something that I tasted. There was some uterine plenitude that I experienced which let me feel everything, but I can't touch it again. And Elio Anavi comes to Adam HaRishon and he says, there's a way back in. There's a way back into Gan Eden. And that's where the teachings of Tana de Beliahu start. And that's why in Motzei Shabbos we learn Tana de Beliahu, because Eliyahu Anavi, the Mevaser HaGeula, the person who Rav Kook says sits under the Eitz HaChayim on every Motzei Shabbos and writes in his pad the Schuyot of Klai Yisrael the good deeds of Klai Yisrael, the irreducible goodness that remains. So Motzei Shabbos is a time where there's a mournful loss on the one hand, but it's an affirmative loss. It's one that tells us that I need this again. And the only thing to do is to yearn more for Shabbos. And so when we look at Shabbos in this three-part breakup, instead of just experiencing Shabbos as one part of them, or Erev Shabbos as stress, and Motzei Shabbos as busyness, or Shabbos as a time to just do nothing and be bored, we can begin to allow these different modalities of time to impart their mark on our spirits and allow ourselves to access into this stream of Kedusha, of holiness, that operates in the world through time itself. Sure. Sure.